um, there's a sport, um, a hobby that many people have, maybe even some of you in the room have. Uh, I think it's insane. I think it's an insane hobby. It's called spelunking. Anybody familiar with that? Also called going into a cave and walking around. I, it's not, it ranks right up there with skydiving. It's just, it's not something I comprehend nor grasp why someone would see a hole in the ground and say, I think I'll go see where it goes uh, and get stuck. I just, um, we did have this experience, similar, close. Um, it's where I found out that I'm claustrophobic. Uh, we were on a family vacation in North Carolina in a place called Linville, North Carolina. Some of you may be familiar with that. This was several years ago. Uh, it's when our youngest were somewhere around seven, eight years old. And um, we saw this sign on vacation that says, Linville Caverns, come and visit. So we, we pulled off. We went into this place. And uh, it, I didn't realize exactly, you know, what a cavern really ended up being. It, it, we went into this room, and it was a room about half this size, and it was inside a cave. It was all open. There was lights. It was beautiful. Uh, you could see some of the minerals on the walls, you know, shining and shimmering and all that. And then this little ranger person comes and, and takes us and says, let's now go on the tour and walk down this crevice. And so she led about 20 of us down this, this uh, crevice that at this point was probably about as wide as the aisle here. And then she took us into another room about a quarter of the size of this room. And she said, uh, I want to just have a fun experiment with all of you. I'm going to turn out the lights and show you what total darkness looks like. Uh, she turned them off. I realized at that point I didn't like that. And I started thinking things like, what if the lights don't come back on? What if the battery in her flashlight isn't working? We may die in here. What happens if they can't pump air down into this hole? And I found myself, without any kind of inhibitions, without any kind of governor, screaming, turn the light on. And she said, sir, I will in just a moment. I said, no, you'll do it now. It was an embarrassing moment for my family. <laughs> Lisa, say amen. But I didn't like it. And I was thinking immediately everything that could go wrong. It was disorienting. It was disaster. It was dangerous. It was disgusting. And whatever other D's you can put on there. But I knew it wasn't natural. It wasn't right for me to be in the dark. Did you know that every child born, they have proven, has an innate fear of the dark? Every one of us are born hardwired with fear of darkness. I wonder why. Jesus is addressing the crowd at the Feast of Tabernacles still. This woman has been caught in adultery here. And it's a great connection between the Feast of Tabernacles, the woman in adultery, and Jesus proclaiming that he is the light of the world.
We're coming off of this amazing Old Testament festival in which Jesus, as we talked about last week, has said and pointed to this this custom in this festival of taking the water from the pool of Siloam, bringing it to the altar and pouring it on the altar in recognition of God being the water in the desert that came from the rock, the blessing of Israel that would come and pour out and quench the thirst of his people. And that Jesus at that point said, I'm really the living water. I'm the true living water. And then this moment of incredible depravity, incredible darkness of what sin has done to the human condition. Of a woman and a crowd who are deep in sin on both sides and deep in the darkness of what this world has caused on both sides. And it's in that that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Also at the Feast of Tabernacles, one of their other events that they did from the very first night is they would light these two giant torches, maybe 50, 60 feet tall, And they were to represent how God was a column of smoke during the day and fire at night to illuminate and protect Israel. And at the end of the festival, they would snuff out these two columns. It would light up the entire courtyard of the temple. And it's in the smoke of those smoldering columns that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want to focus here on this 12th verse for the most part this morning, and then we'll talk a little bit about the following verses. But it's an interesting construct that Jesus says as he's speaking here. And he says that Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light. The way this is constructed is is really interesting. In the Greek, it goes, ego ami. Ego and me. It's Jesus saying, I, I am. It almost sounds like he's stuttered. It almost sounds like he's uh, doing some type of double speak. But what we understand is what he's really saying is, I am, I am. I, ego, and me. And that I am. And as I am, I am the light of the world. Well, for you and I, we may wonder, why would Jesus talk that way? For us, it seems a little strange, maybe. But what Jesus is doing is very clear to the audience that is listening to him. He's telling them, I was the light in the desert that led you. I am the one of old that has always been with you. It is me, I am, that cared for you. I have come to you. I have fulfilled what Isaiah said, that a great light would come into the world. That a great light would come into Israel. And Malachi, that a light would shine on the people, that the sun of righteousness would come and shine on the people. 
And it's Jesus at this point saying all of that Old Testament prophecy, all of those Old Testament promises are fulfilled in the promise that I give you today. I promise you I am, I am the light of the world. I am the fulfillment of everything that you walked in the desert with. Of course, this is one of several great I am passages, seven of them to be specific. Where Jesus says, I am the bread of life, back in chapter 6. Again, in chapter 10, we'll see next week, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, I am the true vine. And all of those, it's ego, I, me, I, I am. It's as though me saying, Brad, I am here with you. Don't you hear this morning, even as you and I are listening, that Jesus is saying, I, I am here with you now. And then he says, this column, these columns only represent the true light that you find in me. And whoever follows me does not walk in darkness. John is passionate and redundant in the word light all throughout his gospel when referring to Christ or his kingdom. It's here in this eighth chapter that we understand why John is so obsessed with light. Because God himself is telling you and I I am your illumination. I am your light. I will keep you from darkness. Why would Jesus refer to that? If you and I can begin to understand, as he says, this column, this cloud by day, this fire by night, I am the true manifestation of the one who was there in the desert with you, we can begin to understand the significance of this statement for you and I today. When we look back in the Exodus, we see God, the reason for the cloud was to represent four things. The first thing was this, that God was present with his people, that he was there. That he was in the midst of their walk. He was in the place where they would trod. He was there in their lives on a daily basis. And the cloud did several things for them to acknowledge that his presence was there. But it also had a very practical reason for him manifesting himself that way. How hot does it get in the desert? 115, 120. My boys who are in Iraq tell me it could get up to 135 degrees at times in the desert. Wouldn't you want shade? And here we see this beautiful picture of God's presence with his people in the desert, shading them. Keeping the heat and the oppression off his people's back. So that they could continue to walk in the second thing that he was giving them, a path. That as he led them through the desert, he was leading them on a path towards the promised land. He was with them, 
And He was leading them. He was also protecting them. God knew where the Egyptians were. He knew where the land was. He knew when they would be ready to take possession of it. He knew everything about this journey. He protected them with water from a rock. He protected them with manna from heaven. And He gave them the third thing, provision. He cared for them. He loved them. I'm sorry, that was the fourth thing, provision. So we see that God's presence, His protection, and His provision, and His path are represented in this column of smoke, in this fire by night. Jesus is inviting the crowd, and Jesus is inviting you and I this morning to believe that He is the reality of that column. And He's saying to them and to you and I this morning that He truly is the light of the world. And in that, you and I can believe that we have His presence with us. When the Scripture here says, whoever follows me, it's not just whoever trails behind me. The word here really means whoever is my disciple, whoever is the one who's committed their life to me, whoever is the one who will obey me, whoever the one is who will follow me, He will not, she will not walk in darkness. In other words, what Jesus is saying, if you're my disciple, understand this. I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will give you provision and I will give you a path to take. But you must believe. You must be a disciple. You remember last week we talked about the difference between assenting to acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord and actually belief that Jesus is Lord. That many of us acknowledge that, yes, there is a Jesus. Yes, he probably is the Lord of heaven. But when it comes to the lordship over our real life and and trusting him with our lives, we hesitate. You remember the example of the the knights, uh, the knights of the crusade who would baptize themselves because they had to be baptized. They had to be Christians to go on the crusade, but they would hold their sword out of the water. And what they were saying was, my life for God, but my sword is mine. And we asked the question again this morning, what is it that we are withholding from entrusting to the light of the world? Jesus is inviting you and I to believe. Let me give you a little hermeneutic. Big word just means a way to understand Scripture. When we look at Israel and we understand that they were enslaved in Egypt, and Egypt representing the world power, the world system, the way the world is, and God's people enslaved and captured in a system, in a world, and in a place that was completely antithetical to who he was for his people, he did what? He sent a deliverer. He sent Moses to redeem his people, to bring them out of Egypt, to go where? Into the wilderness. And in that wilderness, what did God do? He provided for them. He protected them. He gave them the path. He gave them provision. 
and he did it as their light. To take them where? Into the promised land. You and I must understand this morning that there is a greater Egypt and it's called the world. And it's called sin. And a system that is sinful and antithetical to who God is. And we, His people, are here. We are not of the world, but we are in the world. And some people are trapped in the slavery of sin. And God has sent the better Moses, the true Moses, the real one, His Son, Jesus, to deliver us out of the slavery of the mud pits of this life, to take us where? Into the wilderness that you and I walk in right now called life. And in this life, He is moving us towards the real promised land, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth. And in this journey, right now today, and in this wilderness, Jesus says to you and I, I am, I am the light of the world. I will protect you. I will give you a path. I will provide for you. I will be present with you. They will not walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. Jesus says here that those who follow him, he pours himself into. Paul would talk about jars of clay filled with light. And the light comes out of the cracks. Some have made the joke that we're all a bunch of crackpots. What could be more true? We're broken people, yet filled with heavenly light. And what is the purpose of that? So that you and I might pour this light out to others. It is the mandate, it is the command that you and I have as living water fills us, it forces out the light of heaven from us. We bring light into the darkness of this world. Darkness equals a black hole of hell. We don't talk about hell much anymore. But I want to tell you, when I was in that cave, it was just this side of it. Many of you are living right now in your living hell. Your own darkness. I think about darkness. I think about danger. I think about Despair, hopelessness, disillusionment, torment. I can think of no other representation better to describe the hell of the Scriptures. And yet many of us refuse the light that equals assertion into the promised land. 
Instead of danger, we have safety. Instead of despair, we have hope. Instead of delusionment, we have a vision. And instead of torment, there's peace. No matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, there is a light that is more powerful than the darkness of your heart. There is a light that is more powerful than the shadows of Alzheimer's. There's a light that is more powerful than the darkness of addiction. There's a light that is more powerful than the despondency of fear. There is a light that's more powerful than the isolation of loneliness. There is a light that's more powerful than the darkest prison. And it is the light Jesus Christ, the darkest corners of this world, and shed glory. And you see, this is the promise of Jesus, a promise of power that says you have been filled with Him and you are to spill Him out and to pour Him out, not only into your own darkness, but into the darkness of those around you. When Jesus says, I am the I am, lest there be any ambivalence at the end of this chapter in the 58th verse, Jesus will be very clear with the Pharisees. At the end of this discussion, the Pharisees claim Abraham as their father. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. Be clear this morning on who it is that gives you and me the promise. It's not a mythical figure. It's not an apparition of some theology. It's not a caricature created in the mind of some preacher somewhere. But it is the great I am, Jesus Christ himself, that says, I am here with you this morning and ask you to believe in me. And you and I must choose. You must choose. It's the most interesting thing about Jesus of any character in all the characters of the earth. Jesus is the only one you must decide what you're going to do with him. He's the only one that requires you and I to make a decision about who he is. And you either believe he truly is the light or you do not. And Jesus tells us this morning, choose which one in this moment you will follow. Light or darkness? He offers you the opportunity, the invitation to believe. He bases the testimony of being the light by knowing who he is in the Father and that the Father had sent him And that they were one. You see, Jesus isn't proclaiming 
anything short of being God. If you and I will believe, look at the promise. You will have the light of life. This word life is the word zoe. Different from another Greek word, bios. The word bios means the, the idea of life, the organism we call life. Zoe is life abundant. The essence of everything that is life. The fulfillment of living. The reason, the purpose that you and I were made. The point in being. The shalom, the congruity of all meaning is in Zoe. Jesus says, He is the light. And in that light you will find your life. And all it was ever meant to be. Whenever there is meaninglessness in our lives, whenever there is hopelessness in our lives, whenever there is the darkness of despair, the disengagement of anger, the hopelessness of bitterness, Jesus comes and invades it with life. Who will you follow? The light of heaven or the darkness of hell? Which will you believe? The invitation is there. Let's pray.